Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. We have an amazing woman coming. Jill is from Go Hop, which is Greater Ontario House of Prayer. Wow, you're... You're sorting yourself out here. You're, <laughs> you're, yes, that's better. That's very low. Well done. <laughs> so Jill is from Greater Ontario House of Prayer, which is a 24-7 boiler room. Jill is also, she serves on the 24-7 boiler room team. She also, can I get this right, you're married to Kirk, I can get that right. You have one daughter, Hannah, who's gorgeous. As is Kirk, obviously. And Jill is the first convener of the uh, tw- uh, Order of the Mustard Seed, which I'll leave you to explain. Oh, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> and uh, I just love Jill. Jill has a passion for prayer and a passion to see cultural and uh, societal change and renewal. And I would just, I just love to spend time with Jill, because when you spend time with Jill, you get discipled, because she can't help it. She's a discipler, and you're a spiritual leader, and uh, you you just are someone who longs to see people grown and grown up in, in God. So open your ears, open your hearts, hear what Jill has to say. Can you pray for me? I would love to pray for you. Father, we just love Jill. We want to hear from Jill. We want to ask that you would fill Jill with your spirit. We thank you for this um, In Christ series. I pray that you would fill her with your spirit and enable her to know that she stands in Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sammy. Yeah, I'm Jill. I'm the abbess of a neo-monastic community. It's kind of weird, eh? So I'm a monk. This is what we look like in the 21st century in Canada. I don't know what, anyway... um, I'm really happy that cowl neck shirts are sort of in fashion, so I sort of have a, a habit, but um, I, I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have a lot of habits anyway, but uh, this, um, I, yeah, I am the convener of, of the Order of the Mustard Seeds, so 24-7 was inspired probably 18 years ago by hearing the story of a young man named Zinzendorf in the 1700s who really wanted to figure out a way to be true to Jesus in a culture that stood in opposition to the gospel. And so what he did was he created this little group called the Order of the Mustard Seed, and they just said, hey, you know what? It just is easier for us to follow Jesus faithfully, to be true to Christ and to be kind to people and to take the gospel to the nations. If we do it together and if we've got this community where we have shared commitments before God, before one another. That's the order of the mustard seeds. So in the last, uh, in the wisdom of heaven, the Lord kind of resurrected the order probably about 12 years ago. And there's a bunch of us actually on every continent except South America and Antarctica. Anyway, no penguins yet. But um, there's a bunch of us who have said, yes, I'm in. What does it look like to actually live with some intentionality around prayer, mission, and justice and some shared commitments to one another? So that's, that's, if you want to talk more about the order, we can do that at another time. Today, we're talking about being in Christ. This has been a fantastic, I've been following the sermon series via podcast, which is great, so I'm listening to you all um, back in, in Canada. Um, let me just start with this. Some of you may or may not be aware that um, 
in July, I'm actually moving to the UK to be helping Pete with 24-7 prayer on a number of projects. So I'm getting ready. I'm throwing stuff away. I cannot believe how much stuff I have in my house. Um, so I'm packing. We actually brought a couple suitcases this time, and uh, we're storing them here. Every time I come, I bring a couple suitcases and have mules, friends who bring suitcases for me. Um, and... Uh, I'm practicing driving on the wrong side of the road. Yes. Woo uh, I'm, I'm practicing. I'm trying to get used to coffee with milk instead of cream. I don't know what that is, you guys. We've got to work on that with you. But milk, oh. And I'm working on language acquisition. So cross-cultural ministry. I speak English. You speak English. We do not speak the same language. <laughs> uh, I've, I've had several mild to moderately embarrassing moments when I've said something that means one thing in my English and means something entirely different in yours. And uh, I'm not going to share those moments right now because we're in mixed company. But just use your imagination. I'm learning new words all the time. Somebody prophesied over me a while back and said, oh, Jill, God is chuffed with you. <laughs> I'm like, chuffed, chuffed, is that, like, is that like miffed, is that, what is, you know, so I had, to, I had to ask for the gift of interpretation when he was speaking in tongues over me. God is chuffed with you. <laughs> so I decided that in light of language disparities amongst my culture and your culture, I was going to just push language disparities aside, and I was going to speak in a universally understood language, which is funny YouTube animal videos. <laughs> Are you ready? I love the YouTube phenomenon. You could create a video that's like the whole fate of the world, you know, um, it just is dependent on this one super, super important thing, and they'll make a YouTube video, and it'll get like five hits, right? And then you'll put out a YouTube video of like penguins swimming on the ice or slipping on the ice, and it'll get five million hits. So I don't know what that says about our culture and our watching viewing, but um, let's just watch this YouTube video. This is about dogs. I like dogs. And evidently, 24-7 people like dogs. And, uh, but this is about very naughty dogs who feel very guilty about it. So can we watch the video? And see if you can relate to anybody in this video. There is no video. No. Oh, that's so sad. Uh, do you know what? I have it on my iPad. Should we play it? Two minutes. Okay. Say something funny. Um. <laughs> Well, okay, I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you, uh, I'll move my sermon around. I'll tell you a story. So um, what's exciting about our move is uh, we've actually picked the date very carefully. We're moving on July the 18th because that's my husband's and my 20th wedding anniversary. So uh, it just felt like the right moment to um, step into a new decade of life together in this foreign language country. But we, um, well, before we got married, we actually... Oh, the dogs. Okay, rewind. Go back. He's looking very guilty. Okay. What did you do? Hmm? Do you have any remorse? What did you do? What did you do, dog? 
Oh my gosh, you made a hole in the door. I think you did it. Was it you? Did you, you tore this up? Yeah, it was. It was you. What is this? You know if there's a bad round dog that did it? Who's hiding behind here? Was this you? What a bad boy. How about you, mister? Did you destroy a pillow that wasn't yours? Were you bad? What have you done, Buck? Buck. Bad boy. And here's what Berlin did today. And when she was questioned about it, she's now holding out in the shower. She's praying that we <laughs> blame somebody else. Did you get on the counter and get those cookies, Libby? What's wrong? What'd you do, Rousey? Did you get in the garbage? Yeah, come here. Who peed over here? Well, I guess that answers that. Yo, here's this boy. Alright, don't tear anything else up, okay? Very good. Oh, nice. Thank you for that. <laughs> so, how many of you felt like this? And everybody's like, oh, my dog, let me tell you about what my dog did, right? How many of you felt like the dog? Yeah, how many of you felt like the dog? Um, you've misbehaved and you know it. You've not been able to bring your best self to a situation and, and now you're surveying the, the relational carnage around you. Uh, and you just want to go hide in the shower. <laughs> hide in the shower. But, so you're guilty and you know it and you're carrying it. So the scripture says that we've all sinned. And we all fall short of the glory of God. Sin is our universal disposition. It's the life oriented around self. It's our bowing to the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. This is sin, a life oriented to self. We engineer our life situations around us to get what we want when we want it. And God help anybody who gets in our way. For some of us, our sins are blatant. We've torn the couch apart, and it's all over the living room. Others of us are sneaky sinners. Maybe like the dog who's piddled quietly in the corner. But we've done wrong, and we carry the weight of it. All of us. And it's time to take a load off. I just had to check and make sure that that meant what I think it means in Canada. <laughs> Taking a burden off. That's what it means in Canada. So it's time to take... A load off. Back to my marriage. Um, we, we actually did a prenuptial agreement. Not around money, because neither of us had any, but um, we did the, the chores, the prenuptial agreement on chores. You hate cooking, cooking, that means you can do the dishes. You know, you can do this and I can do this. Those of you who are not yet married, I highly recommend work out the chores beforehand. So we did it. And one of my chores, my job, was to manage our family finances. So I was in charge of keeping track of the money and paying bills and making sure that all was well. The problem was I was terrible at it. Like I was really, really, really terrible at it. And about three years into our marriage, we were about, now this is 18 years ago, so I, you know, inflation and all. At that time, we were about 10,000 pounds in debt. Um, and my husband didn't know about it. I hadn't told him. 
I kept it secret. So that, at the time, for, for a missionary, was a, a lot of debt. And I knew that I had to come clean. I knew I had to tell him. And so I, I said, okay, honey, we have to have a talk. Anybody ever had those? We have to have a talk. He's <laughs> like, oh, no. So I took him. Uh, we, we drove down to the water. We lived near the water because I know that water makes him feel calm. <laughs> And peaceful. <laughs> so we sat by the water and we looked out over the water, the ducks and everything. And I'm like, oh, honey, I have something to tell you. And I felt sick. I felt so guilty. I felt so embarrassed. I felt so ashamed. And I told him how I had mismanaged our finances and had driven us terribly into debt. And he forgave me. Right away, he forgave me. He was like, oh, I'm so relieved. He said, I thought you were going to say you had cancer or a boyfriend or something, you know. <laughs> it's only money. <laughs> so not only did he forgive me, he assumed the debt. And he spent the next few years helping me pay it off. It was time for me to take a load off. <laughs> you know, several times in, in the ministry of Jesus, He's quite offensive. Does anybody, you know, you know that Jesus is pretty offensive? He's really good at offending the religious people. And, and I think of that story, most of us are familiar with it, where there's this meeting and then somebody comes and wrecks their house. They like take the lid off of the house and they lower somebody down into the living room where the meeting is. How many of you would enjoy that? Somebody coming and breaking a hole in your ceiling? And um, they lower this guy down. So the, the house wrecking was not the offensive thing. The offensive thing was that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And for us, we're like, yeah, no big deal. Like, whatever. How is that offensive? But back in the religious economy of the day, only God could forgive sins. You couldn't turn to another person and say, your sins are forgiven. Forgiveness of sins could happen only only God could forgive, and that forgiveness could only be recognized by the religious authorities along with certain religious protocols or, or rituals, rituals that included sacrifice and blood. That was how things were done. And so then who is this upstart, this young rabbi who's just flippingly taking the, the, the loads off of people's backs, just going, your sins are forgiven. Who is this guy? He forgave, and he forgave, and he forgave. All the way to the very end, we remember, Father, forgive them. What did he say? They know not what they do. He forgave all the way to the cross. He identified with our brokenness, our sin, our selfishness. He assumed our debt. He took the bullet for us. He pushed us out of the path of this oncoming disaster, and he took the hit himself. And so fast forward a few dozen years, and the, the leaders of the early church, they're just trying to process this. What happened there? There was this moment on the cross, this moment of sacrifice and bloodshed and forgiveness, and it, it, it turned the universe on its axis, that moment. It was the crux of history. And they're trying to figure it out. And, and Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, maybe pull this up. We're actually going to read this together. It's on a slide there. 
Let's, let's read this together. There's two slides of it. We'll start with this one. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. There's another slide. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that was lavished on us. Keep that slide up. In him, in Christ, we have forgiveness. This is one of the headlines of the good news of the gospel. In Christ, we're forgiven. We're forgiven for destroying the couch. And we're, we're forgiven for piddling in the corner. <laughs> the big sins and the little, the loud, and the sneaky. Pete said a couple of weeks ago, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he taken his sins from us. It's gone. All the sins I have ever committed. There's this fancy theological word called justification. It means just as if it had never happened. It's gone. All of my past, all of my failure, all of my dark history. And amazingly and, and mysteriously, all the sins of my future have been dealt with as well. See, God is not surprised when you sin. He's not surprised. He's not going, oh, I didn't see that one coming, right? He's not surprised. And he's made provision for all your future failure. Is that good news? He has made provision for all of your future failure. Hebrews says he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of him self so we are in Christ so when God looks at us he does not see our sin and our brokenness and our failure he does not look down at our house and see bits of couch strewn across the living room he looks at us and he sees his son he sees Jesus the only man in the history of humankind who never sinned at all when you are in Christ, he looks at you and he sees Jesus. So come and take a load off. I want to share you a story. I actually, I'm, I'm very grateful to C.S. Lewis. Anybody ever read anything by C.S. Lewis? The Narnia Chronicles? I'm actually a believer because my dad read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis and it, and it provided a convincing argument for Jesus. And so my dad came to the Lord, and then the family followed, but thank you, C.S. Lewis, where were you? Well, we know where you are, but um, I, I love the Narnia Chronicles. Anybody like the Narnia Chronicles? 
I heard the Narnia Chronicles as a child. I didn't get to know Jesus till I was about 14. But I read about Aslan when I was seven. And I loved Aslan for years before I ever, ever knew who Jesus was. And uh, there's this beautiful story in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Maybe our next, next slide. Can you get, does anybody know who this is? Eustace Scrub. That's a very British name. Eustace Scrub. Anyway. He is a very selfish and greedy and unkind boy in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in this book, he gets himself in a situation. He finds himself on an enchanted island, and there's all these treasures and caves, but there's also dragons. And Eustace is a little bit dragonish inside. He's, he is selfish, and he's unkind, and he's greedy, and he, he goes down for a nap in this cave. And when he wakes up, everything that was living inside of him has then manifested externally in his body. And he wakes up not a little boy, but a dragon. He wakes up as a dragon. It's a terrible situation for him, and it caused him all kinds of, of hardship. And there's this beautiful moment. Let's see the next slide. There we go. There's the dragon. That's the actual illustration from the book. And he's suffering as a result of his internal world manifesting on the outside. But then there's a beautiful moment in the book. Let's go to the next slide, and we'll stay at the slide for a bit. This is from the movie. There's Eustace, been all dragonized. And there's Aslan. And Eustace is telling this story. I'm going to read it to you. Can I read you a children's book? Is that okay? All right. Eustace is saying, the water was as clear as anything. There's this pool. I thought if I could get there and, and bathe, it would ease my pain. But the lion told me that I had to undress first. I was just going to say that I couldn't undress because I didn't have any clothes on. Um, uh, but then I, I suddenly thought that dragons are kind of a sneaky sort and we can shed our skin. So what Eustace did was he started tearing at his skin and trying to take off that, that dragonish skin from the outside. How many of you have tried to take off your sin behavior from the outside? Anybody? I'm just going to do some behavior modification. It's not the gospel. So he's trying to take off a layer of skin, and he finally gets a layer of skin off, and he's like, yeah, I got the layer of skin off, and he's about to step in the water, and he realizes there's another layer of dragon skin underneath. So he starts tearing at that and trying to get it off. And there's layer after layer after layer, and he realizes, I can't do it. I can't get in the water. And then Aslan says to him, I'll have to do it for you. And so he kind of steps towards him, <laughs> ready to take a load off. <laughs> and Aslan, with his big lion claws, begins to cut deeply. And he says it, it stung and it hurt so bad, but it felt so good all at the same time. And he just tore off this dragonish exterior. And there I was underneath a boy again, and this big pile of dragon skin on the side. And, and then the lion pushed him in the water, and he said, and it stung like crazy for a moment. And then I, all of a sudden, I just felt wonderful. And then the dragon clothed me. It's a beautiful story. Sin and forgiveness and redemption. I'm going to tell you another story, and um, this is a familiar story, and so it's 
Uh, I'm going to do it a little bit differently and kind of help it to impact our hearts. I remember the first time I told this story, the, the story of the prodigal son, I, I told it to a friend of mine who was not a churchgoer and who had never heard it before. And it was so beautiful to sit across the table from her and tell her the story of this son who had squandered the family finances, which I can relate to anyway, and uh, you know, squandered the family finances and got himself in a pickle and then came crawling back, hoping that maybe he could like work his way back into the good graces of the family again. And I watched her weep at the table as she heard that story for the first time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the story... And my friend Richard, I, I brought a friend with me who's, he kind of is an electronica kind of guy. So he's going to actually create a little, a little soundscape underneath the telling. And we're going to do a prayer exercise. We're going to meditate on the scriptures. So don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to levitate or ohm or do anything weird. But we're just going to kind of, we're just going to linger on this passage for a little bit. I'm going to read it twice. I'm going to encourage you to close your eyes and just let it settle in your heart. Those of you who are visual, there's another slide here I'm going to put up. This is Rembrandt's painting, The Return of the Prodigal. So if you're visual, you can look at that. We call that visio divina, divine looking and allowing what we see impact our heart. Let's just quiet in our hearts and settle in. Let's meet Jesus through the living word. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. So I'm going to tell the story again. 
And this time I encourage you to use your sanctified imagination and find yourself, put yourself in the story. Maybe you're the son. Maybe you've torn up the couch or piddled in the corner. <laughs> Maybe you desperately want to earn your way back into the Father's good graces. Or maybe you're the father. Maybe you're filled with joy and delight at seeing the son and, and are propelled to run out to meet and embrace and unfold. But let's do that. Let's put ourselves in the story. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? How do you feel? When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out, I'll go back to my father. I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to the Father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father said to his servants, quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring a fattened calf and let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he was found. So he began to celebrate. Here's one of the headlines to the gospel. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we can be the righteousness of God. So I want you to turn to somebody beside you and say, you are the righteousness of God. That's gonna feel weird, but say it anyways. You are the righteousness of God. <laughs> this is good news. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Turn to somebody and say, you're a new creation. You're a new creation. You're a new creation. I'm a new creation. It's gone. The old is gone. The new has come. It's good news. Is it good news? Do you think it's good news? I think it's good news. I think it's good news. In Christ, we are forgiven of every sin we have ever committed and every sin we have yet to commit. It's gone. Hallelujah. Sandy's going to come up. and Maybe Richard, keep on rolling. We keep it a little bit lower and we'll just... 
you want to come up, Sandy, and we just want to have an opportunity to respond. All right, you guys. Some of you are couch wreckers. You know who you are. Some of you are corner piddlers. <laughs> some of you are sneaky sinners and some not so sneaky. It's time to take a load off. Anybody want to take a load off? Yeah. All right, I just want to encourage you to stand. Let's all stand together because I don't want to go like, oh, look at that sinner standing. We'll just all stand. <laughs> you know who you are. You know if you're a couch ripper or a corner piddler. <laughs> Can we just receive the forgiveness that's ours to have? Can we just do that? I think we'll just all, yeah, I don't know that we'll call people up necessarily. If you want to, I just encourage you. For me, getting in my body just really helps. We're all, this is all connected. So some, it can be helpful for me when I want to receive something from Jesus to put my hands out wide. <laughs> Jesus, I receive the forgiveness that has been extended to me. And in this quiet moment, I lift up the weight of any sin that I feel like I'm still carrying. Just lift those things up to him. And I lay it down. I take the load off. It's time. Every weight all the hindrances, all the sins that have hindered. I tear them off, I throw them off, and I fix my eyes on you, Jesus. You are the author. You are the perfecter of my faith. You have been on a good, you've begun a good work in me. You will bring it to completion. You're the author of my salvation. You took it all. You dealt with it all. You became sin so that I could be free and I'm in you and I am forgiven. I'm clean. I'm new. Hallelujah. And there may be some of you who this is new news to you. This is good news because you haven't heard it before. This like, I, I didn't know that it could be like this. I didn't know that I could just leave it all there at the foot of the cross. If if you're not yet sure that you're in Christ, well, then let's, let's do that, shall we? <laughs> so just, I'm just going to pray something. If this, this kind of hits your heart, you want to say yes and amen in your heart, you could do it. Jesus, I admit that I have messed up my life. I admit that I have fallen short of all the goodness that you have for me. And I give you myself, I give you all the mess I give you all of me, and, and, and in this moment, I receive all of you right here, right now, Jesus. I receive you, and I lay it all down. Scripture says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. This is the joy set before him, a people set apart and beloved, his little ones, his ones in Christ. You were the joy set before him. You and you and you. Hmm. Father, I'm asking that we would go out today with joy that the good news would, would, would exude from our lives and our hearts today. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be as forgiving towards one another as you are to us. <laughs> May this week we become really quick to forgive. Who's been forgiven much, Jesus said, loves much. Help us to forgive. Help us to love. In the name of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. Amen.